And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here. I am the editor at Sci-Fi For Me. 32 years in the media, which means I should know better. Then to keep doing this, although it's the only thing I know, so I'm kind of stuck. But that's okay. As long as I have you out there coming back to partake of the conversation that everything is hunky-dunky, as they say. Uh, we are available on a number of podcast players, if that is your preferred method of consumption. iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Double Twist, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Casts. We might be on some others, but I'm not exactly sure where you would find them. Uh, welcome, Mazurus, in the chat. Yes, let us put on our partaking hats. And that does include the live chats. See what I did there? Uh, if you are with us live, either through YouTube or Facebook or uh, Twitch, then uh, then you can uh, you can give us your thoughts. You can share in the comments or the live chat. Uh, we are on all the social media. You can subscribe to us and connect with us everywhere. Just look for Sci-Fi for Me. And I do recommend and invite you to check out our newsletter. Sign up for that as well. And uh, we're going to be using that a whole lot more. We've started, uh, we've started doing more with that. And uh, I'm hoping to make that a semi-regular thing. So here we are. It is Tuesday, February 23rd. And... A follow-up on a couple of different conversations that we've had. We had an uh, we had an interview with uh, Tony Weisskopf, who's the publisher over at Bayon Books, and that was about a week before Jason Sanford published his hit piece over on Patreon. And in in the 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 course of the last couple of weeks, things have blown up. Worldcon at uh, Discon Three has disinvited Tony as the editor guest of honor. Uh, Mrs. Boss, since you've got your wrench at hand, if you could uh, put the link to our interview with Tony in the chat, uh, if you would, please. And the the conversation there was basically just about, you know, how she got started, what her, uh, what her priorities are over at Bay. And if you, if you look at some of the different things that are being said... You would think that Bayon Books is a hotbed of alt-right evil. It is not. Now, through the course of the discussion, there are various reactions online to the disinviting, but also reactions to Jason Sanford's piece. And generally... The people who have reason to know 
are saying that Sanford is full of it. And this is a calculated hit piece full of lies and deceptions and misrepresentations as to the very nature of the Bayons Bar user forum. And these reactions are coming from people that are politically opposite each other on the spectrum. David Weber on one end, Eric Flint on the other, and various different reactions from people in, in between those viewpoints, all saying that Sanford is not accurate in his portrayal of the discussions over at Bayon's Bar. Since that time, since Discon has uninvited Tony, it has come out that there's a little bit more to the story. Now, <clears throat> I want to be careful here because I have opinions about these things. Some of them are informed opinions. Some of them are reasonably arrived at because of what I have researched and experienced in various different people that I've talked with and interviews and, and watching various different other things. So the, the, um, the notion that there's this conspiracy of, of insurrectionists on Bayon's forum is laughable to me. Now I can I can understand you want to take some you want to take some posts out of context and use that to present whatever case you want to make, pro or con, then you have to accept the consequences of that. The people that are sitting there saying, hey, you've taken these, you've taken these quotes out of context. And Sanford doubles down. Of course, the people that are defending him are the usual suspects. And turns out that these usual suspects may have a little bit more connections to each other than originally thought. It was posted over on Facebook. Now, Larry Correa has reacted. David Weber has reacted. Eric Flint has reacted. Uh, responded, as, as it were. And we, we have, you know, Discon basically saying, in their, in their very first sentence of their, pre, of their, of their statement Quote, Discon 3 condemns the violent and hostile content found within Bayon Books forums. This blanket statement now covers all of the forums rather than specific posts as Sanford presented. So now the narrative is not about there are certain users that are posting certain things that could be questionable or objectionable. Now the narrative is the entire forum is full of objectionable, uh, objectionable content. So you see how that shifts just a little bit. So now it's not just one or two users. It's not the outliers. It's all of you. And this is how you, this is how we get there. People were talking about how do we, how, what does it mean, you know, we're turning on our neighbors and the cancel culture and all of this. This is how it happens, folks. You manipulate the language to say something that you're not blatantly, arbitrarily just out there saying. 
the original article from Jason Sanford says that there are certain posts and certain certain conversations and certain things that get said. And now here is an escalation where Discon is presenting the entire forum as a hotbed of hostile and violent content. To which the people who are participating in those forums say hogwash. It's not that way at all. And some of the people whose posts were taken out of context have also called Jason Sanford out saying, hey, you're saying something I said I didn't say. Uh, Eastland in the chat, a commenter said, no, my point is that if you allow hate speech to be banned, then those who get to define it are given power to oppress. That, that's exactly right. Who, who gets to say? And in this day and age of the cancel culture where, where the, the 12 angry people on Twitter decide that they want to be the tastemakers, like we've talked about before, they sit there and say, well, it's not acceptable to us. Well, okay, who are you to decide? Who gave you that kind of authority? Who gave you that kind of power? And again, this goes back to something that I've pointed out before, and I will make that case as, as, as long as I can until I'm blue in the face. This is not about politics per se, red versus blue, liberal versus conservative. This is about power and control. This is about a certain group of people Define that group however you want, depending on the circumstances. This is about a certain group of people who have decided to take it upon themselves to be in charge because they feel like they have every right to be in charge and you don't have a right to be in charge. It's a dangerous slippery slope that we're finding ourselves on pretty much from a on a day-to-day -day basis here. Because it turns out now see Tony Tony Weisskopf has been very gracious in in her acceptance of the circumstance and this is the situation. She posted over on Twitter or or, or Facebook rather she says, quote, I do understand the immediate appeal of Discon 3 wishing to act quickly to respond to their community. Today they inform me of their official decision to remove me as their editor guest of honor. While I strongly disagree with the committee's decision, I will regretfully accede to their wishes. Now, the reactions to this have been interesting to see. Because there are people on, like I said, both sides of the aisle, from a political standpoint, who are calling this out as wrong. As something that is a little bit too coordinated, it feels like. There are people who, who have made the made the observation and have opined and again this is all a lot of this is all opinion at this point because facts really don't matter let me do something here real quick because 
Mrs. Boss, I don't know if you heard me earlier or not. If you could uh, post the link to my interview with Tony in the chat, that would be great. Or I could do it myself here. Let me do it. I'll just I'll just do it here. All right, here's my interview with Tony because I can post it. I can post it on uh, everywhere. Let me do that. Stand by here, folks. That just just to give it a little bit of context. So you've got something that people can see. And I'll post that over on Twitch and I'll put it in the comments over there on Facebook. Now everybody's got the link to it. And the, the idea here is that we're going to decide to unperson you and deplatform you and take away your ability to have a livelihood um, it would it would be one of those things where uh, you know the tastemakers the people the people who think they know better eventually are going to run out of targets they're going to run out of people that they can run out on a rail and they're going to turn on each other it's going to be a circular firing squad at some point Now, it has been observed that there's an overlap, apparently, between the Worldcon Committee and people who are what in charge of the International Costumers Guild. Now, I don't know if one has to do with the other, but this goes to, this speaks to the, I don't want to say incestuous, but the insular relationships that a lot of these organizations have. And uh, currently, as far as I can tell, now this person who's posting this says that there are 15 people who are on the, the Costumers Guild board who are also on the Discon and Worldcon boards. Uh, I have found three, but there could be more than that. But this is a, a regular, just a general post. 15 people are also upset that their friend did not get a book deal with a publisher they wanted to work with. One of these 15 is also the president of the ICG and best friends with the aggrieved person. Now, if you go back and, and look, the, the, um, the president of the ICG, the International, uh, the International Costumers Guild, is Kevin Roach. Kevin Roach was the chairman of Worldcon 76, which was the one in San Diego, that's the one that preemptively banned John Delaros from attending by saying that he broke the rules before he was ever even at the event and the event wasn't even going on yet. So this Kevin Roach is the president of ICG and according to this, this post here is best friends with Jason Sanford. ICG and Worldcon have been less than pleased with the recent trend of a large multimedia convention having more impact on fandom than either of their two groups combined, according to this post. Also, the other larger convention is the weekend after Worldcon, which they believe has hurt their ticket sales. However, until very recently, ICG has kept mostly quiet about this, as their vice president was a key director at the other multimedia convention. Now for details. See... She keeps it, she keeps it uh, uh, general, 
But now let's get a little bit specific. Bayon Publishing, Bayon Books, rejected this author's work. Said author, according to this, Jason Sanford, who then turned around and put out the hit piece on his Patreon page. So you got to pay to see it. Well, he no, he put this one out for free. He made this one accessible for free. Because of course he did. Because you've got to maximize your exposure. And then after this hit piece come out, not even not even three days, Discon disinvites Tony Weisskopf. This feels coordinated to me. How dare you not publish my friend's work plan schemes, plan schemes. Let's kick her out. That's what this feels like. Uh, Eastland in the chat. My approach as a mod would be that attacking a person is wrong and not allowed. Saying a point is stupid or a, or a person should have to ignore facts to believe whatever would be allowed. Well, see, and that's the thing is, and this is this is the kind of thing that you run into with social media posts with the whole Section 230 argument. If you are providing a platform for people to post whatever they have in their heads that they want to say, then you're a platform. If you're a publisher and you curate and moderate and, and do all of this to decide what gets published, then you no longer uh, should enjoy the protections of Section 230, which is basically saying that this is a platform. The platform is not responsible for the content that's posted by individual users. And so Facebook hides behind Section 230 so they can't get sued for anybody coordinating an attack on a, on a, on a state capital or a... Or a nation's capital because as it turns out facebook was very useful to people who were coordinating attacks on various different places in the last year so as far as as far as bands bar sure you've got moderators in there and the moderators are going to or kick certain posts that go a little bit too far in terms of you know legality and that sort of thing but if you're really going to stay true to the idea of free speech and any anything is uh, you know in, I don't want to say anything goes but within reason you can have conversations about whatever topics you're going to have conversations about, then you you either fully invest in the free speech aspects of a forum, in which case you're fairly hands-off, or you are heavily moderating, in which case you're censoring a lot. You have to decide one or the other. And in this particular case, it seems like Bands Barr said, we're just going to let people let people do what they do. And Sanford comes out and uses certain posts and takes them out of context to defend his article. And people who are quoted in those have said, that's not what that discussion was about. You're lying. 
We have here an article by Richard Palinelli uh, on his uh, Sci-Fi Scribe blog, The Fading 15 Minutes of Jason Sanford's Fame. Now, he goes into the timeline here, uh, but he's also looking at Jason Sanford. And makes a note, of course, that Tony Weisskopf is Jewish, single working mother, and apparently has a special needs child. I was not aware of that. Not that that makes a, a bit of difference in terms of how she does her job, but this is the kind of thing that these folks look at when they're deciding who is to be canceled and who is not to be canceled. And Tony Weiskopf should fit several of the checkboxes, I would think. I mean, she's a woman. She's Jewish. She's single mother. Okay. Now, Sanford apparently is a member of the Ohio News Media Association, and Richard Palinelli says uh, that he was talking about this, and... He says, um, uh, Sanford issued a denial that he'd submitted a book to Bayon. That wasn't the allegation. A manuscript could be an article, a short story, or even a book. Instead of saying, I've never submitted anything to Bayon for publication, which would have fully laid the question to rest, Sanford only says, book. Within a few hours of my email questioning his apparent lack of journalism experience to his employer... The ONMA's website goes down. ONMA is the Ohio News Media Association. Apparently Sanford is employed there. Within a few hours of my email questioning his apparent lack of journalism experience to his employer, the ONMA's website goes down sometime between 1 a.m. and sun Sunday morning and 6 a.m. Sunday morning. When it comes back online, only one thing is different. Mr. Sanford's bio. Where... On February 20th, his bio mentions he is a science fiction writer, but makes no mention of any journalism experience. On February 21st, his bio suddenly no longer mentions his sci-fi credits, but does state he was a newspaper journalist and editor. That is a little bit odd. Now, I wish he had uh, done uh, screen captures. He's got one uh, screenshot, and I guess it's his current his current bio, I wish we had a, a screenshot of the, of the one before. But it's been changed a couple of times and taken out any reference at all to him being any kind of a science fiction writer or a wannabe science fiction writer. I don't know if he's been published in that sphere or not. Curiouser and curiouser and curiouser. Hello, Robert, in the chat. Uh, Mazur says, I don't know if it's applicable today, but I remember in the early 2000s, the rules of Internet forums, the social media of the day, were this is our page, your constitutional rights do not apply here. Cancel culture wasn't a thing then, though. And, and you're right. It's, and, and, and you can make the argument, and people have, with regard to Facebook and Twitter and all these people banning all of these users. Well, it's, it's their... It's their company. It's a private company. They can do what they want. And that is true to a point. But the argument also is being made, and not in the case of Bands Bar, but in the case of social media just in general, 
the case is being made, and I think uh, you can argue this rather, rather successfully, that sites like Facebook and Google and Twitter have become so, so large and ubiquitous so as now to qualify as a type of utility almost. Not exactly in the same way that you would look at like cable or tele, you know, telephone or, uh, or, or, or electricity or anything like that. But, but from a communication standpoint, uh, you have your phone, you have, you, know, you have your telephone lines, but you've also got now the social media aspects where you can, it is a communications tool both in terms of networking, providing information to each other, posting various different things online, whether it's conspiracy theories or news articles or recipes or cat videos or whatever. By the way, I am not a cat. So it's taken on this other layer, this other aspect, and a lot of people are arguing that because it is so entrenched in our communication with each other worldwide, it should be looked at and therefore regulated as if it's a utility. Not a publisher, not a platform, but a utility, in which case a whole new set of rules apply. Now, in the case of Bayon's Bar, it's small enough and it's got a, it's got a user set that is limited in scope that Bayon's, that Bayon Books has the absolute authority to decide how to run that forum, what can and cannot be posted. And as long as they make their rules clear, and as long as they are applied universally to all users, then nobody should have a problem. The fact of the matter is that Bayon publishes things from people like Larry Correa and David Weber and John Ringo and people who are not part of the right-think crowd. And they want to portray Bayon Books as this alt-right, heavily conservative publisher when it's not. They publish stories. They publish stories to entertain. And if the writer is a socialist, but it's an entertaining story, okay, so what? If the writer is a libertarian, the inter- but the story is entertaining, okay, so what? Conservative? Green Party? Communist? Anarchist? Doesn't matter. The criteria for publishing at Bayon Books, and the criteria for any publisher of general style fiction, whether it's science fiction or romance or horror or mystery or thriller or whatever, if you're going to be publishing material for a general audience, then it should not matter a whit the orientation or ideology of the author so long as the story entertains. And by extension, if it sells. Again, you have to go back to the, to the notion here. You have to remember, you are selling a product. At the end of the day, this is a business and you have a product to sell. 
And those books that are on those shelves are competing with books from other publishers. Now, you might get some vanity press or some little uh, uh, specialist press that says, you know, we're only going to publish, uh, we're only going to publish Afrofuturism. We're only going to publish uh, uh, lesbian erotica or, you know, what you pick your category. If you're going to get into a niche that narrow, then the material that you publish should appeal to that particular niche audience. But if you're going to be publishing for a broad consumption, then it's a smart tactic to sit there and say, it doesn't matter what the politics of the author are. What matters is, is it, is it good? Does it entertain? And do people buy it? And will they come back to buy the next one? And the next one? And the next one? <laughs> Mazura says, I wonder what would have happened if social media had come about during the Hoover area. Oh, God, I don't even want to think about that. My goodness. <sighs> All right, Robert, uh, in the chat, I just saw your question here. Um... Okay, so Banned Books publishes a number of authors. Uh, uh, the Honor Harrington books would probably be the most recognizable. Eric Flint's 1632 series, uh, and and other things. They they've post you know they've published books from you know Lois McMaster Bujold, uh, John Wright, John Ringo. Um, uh, I think Tony Weisskopf has had some stuff published that she's edited. You know anthologies and whatnot, and. They have a user forum called Bayon's Bar. It's a discussion forum uh, back back like the old AOL bulletin boards back uh, way back in the day. This thing's been around for 20 some odd years. And last week, Jason Sanford posted on his Patreon an article detailing how the Bayon's Bar forum is a hotbed for anarchist, terrorist, insurrectionist, uh, thought crime, basically. Uh, taking a bunch of posts out of context, fabricating details, uh, misrepresenting a number of things. Since that post has gone live, uh, a lot of people have come, after, come out and said, you're wrong, you're mistaken, you're lying, you're a, you're a hack. And he's posted a few screenshots as I see, 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 and then a, uh, a couple of days later, they, they shut down the forum in order to investigate and see just exactly what was going on and if there was any merit to the accusations. And since that time, the Worldcon, Discon 3, has disinvited Tony Weisskopf, the publisher at Bayon Books, has disinvited her as editor uh, guest of honor. And the kerfuffle continues. The reactions have been swift and venomous in some cases, uh, where a lot of people are sitting there saying, you know, this is, this is just another example of the Worldcon literati crowd deciding to be exclusionary because of political thought. 
it's the same kind of thing what we saw with the sad puppies and the and the rabid puppies and all that other stuff with the Hugos a few years ago, back in 2015, 2016. This is the kind of thing, and we're seeing it everywhere else. This is the cancel culture rearing their ugly head again because they don't like what Bayon Books represents. One, they are not gatekeeping their authors from a political ideology standpoint. They're publishing whoever whoever they think can sell a good story. Two, Bay and Books is the top competitor against Tor, and Tor, of course, is the darling of that uh, subsection of fandom, of literati. And I find it ironic that David Gerald is sitting here posting on his Facebook page that you know, he got uh, he got lambasted and attacked for, for what was going on at Worldcon 2015. Now, I sat and I watched the Hugos. They live-streamed the Hugos that year. <sighs> David Gerald was one of the MCs, and they absolutely... This is the year where they know awarded so many different categories. Tony Weisskopf was nominated for an award for in the editing category. And they absolutely made fun of, denigrated, attacked, verbally assaulted anyone having to do with the Sad Puppies movement. And Larry Correa, Brad Torgerson, all that group, they were just trying to prove a point. And this complaint that the sad puppies put out a slate and that's wrong and it's not allowed. Well, people have been putting out lists of recommendations for awards for, for gobs of years. So there's nothing new about it. The problem was that it was wrong. Think crowd that were making these recommendations and you had some of the highest participation numbers in Worldcon those couple of years. Worldcon 2015 had something like over 5,000 voting members. And now they're somewhere around, what, 1,300? The Hugos don't matter anymore, except to the people who pat themselves on the back and tell it, you know, tell themselves that they do matter, but they only matter to us. And the other convention that's mentioned here is DragonCon. And what DragonCon did was DragonCon came up with their own award. They said, we're going to make the Dragon Award. And the Dragon Award is fan-driven, fan-nominated, fan-voted, and whoever wins, wins. And it's a little bit more democratic, I guess you could say. It's, it's just more of the same kind of thing like we've been talking about with, with you know, Gina Carano being a, uh, one of the latest examples where you have people posting in the media trying to stir up controversy. But this is not anything new, turns out. Because back in 2018, it kind of happened to Gregory Benford at LosCon. And of course, we've seen, you know, Worldcon 76 preemptively banned John Delarose. Now... Whatever you want to say about John Delarose. What happened to him at Worldcon 76 was wrong. He should not have been preemptively banned. Now, since then, he's he's kind of one of these 
opportunists who who you know won't pass up a an opportunity to put himself out there and that's fine you want to promote yourself promote yourself i'm you know there's nothing wrong with that some people don't like the way he does it different strokes for different folks i guess but the attacks on bayon and Tony Westcop are kind of reminiscent a little bit really about it's kind of kind of the same same kind of thing that we've seen in the comics industry. You go back and look we've got a couple of a couple of articles on bleedingfool.com detailing the Whisper Network the group that was coordinating and communicating and some would say colluding uh, to uh, gatekeep certain creators from getting into the comics industry. And then, of course, you go all the way back to Gamergate and the Comics Journal's Pro discussion forum that for a long time people denied even existed until somebody uh, sent a, a, a note to Milo Yiannopoulos and suddenly the, the, the doors were blown off of that thing. And speaking of which... Nick Monroe has posted over on his blog, uh, nickmonroe.blog, and I guess we could link to it. I have not yet gone through this, but for those people who were saying that Gamergate was all about racism and misogyny and whatever, you know, Anita Sarkeesian type of, of thing, Nick Monroe has posted all of the Game Journal Pro's emails proving communication, coordination among the game journalists with regard to coverage of certain games. Now, what, how, how Gamergate got started was that it was, it was found out that uh, there were game journalists who had relationships, whether they were financial or personal relationships, with game developers. And those relationships were not disclosed. And, the, and, and to begin with, Gamergate was a question of the ethics of games journalists covering games in which they had a vested interest. You had some reporters that had donated to crowdfunding projects without revealing that they had. You had at least one journalist who was sleeping with a developer and giving her game good reviews, that's where it started. It got hijacked, and it went completely off the rails, my understanding. I was not around for Gamergate. I didn't pay attention to it. We weren't doing anything with it. But Nick Monroe has posted an extensive historical record, all of the Game Journal Pro's posts, discussions, between February 2013 and September of 2014. So if anybody's interested in seeing just exactly what went on behind the scenes, and it's the same kind of thing that we're seeing now with the media going after Gina Carano. You have What's-Her-Name over at the Mary Sue boo-hooing and saying, it took me four hours to watch this one-hour video so you don't have to, and she admits in her article that she's yelling at the screen. This is not an objective journalist, folks. The Mary Sue hasn't been objective since it started, admittedly. I know that. 
But if you're going to present yourself as a site that covers this kind of thing, I mean, you, you want to opin- you know, opine and bloviate all you want, that's fine. Don't expect everyone to take you seriously, especially when you misrepresent what's actually been said. This kind of thing is what, it doesn't keep me up at night. But it also doesn't make me want to do business with any of these people. Lucasfilm, Disney, any, anybody that publishes, that, that has a Hugo Award winning book from the last six or seven years, I'm not inclined to read it. It's the same kind of thing. I'm not inclined to read anything published by Tor. Because reasons. I'm more inclined to read a book that's published by Bayon. Whether it's written by David Weber or Eric Flint or whoever in between. We saw this same kind of thing with the Comicsgate group. You know, don't, don't lead with your politics. Tell me a good story. If the story entertains me, I'll buy your book. If the story continues to entertain me, I'll keep buying your book. But if you're going to preach at me, and if you're going to tell me how I'm, how I'm evil for not thinking the same way you do, I don't want to do business with you. And there are a number of people that are now sitting there going, well, Discon made it easy for me. I'm not going to attend. And it will continue to dwell in relative obscurity and dwindle down to nothing in terms of being relevant in the science fiction and fantasy literary circles. Now, you have the literati, the crowd, who think they know better and who think they are better. That crowd is getting older and smaller And then you have the crowd that likes to read what they enjoy reading. The people who buy the books that they read. You know, a lot of people keep coming out about, you know, Ben Shapiro with Daily Wire. His first movie has a 93% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. People like the movie they've made. The critics don't. Last time I looked, it was 27%. Don't tell me that's not coordinated. Oh, Ben Shapiro made it? Well, it must be terrible. (laughs) Mazra says, Even the old claymation Davy and Goliath show was less preachy than Lucasfilm. (laughs) I remember Davy and Goliath. Davy? Uh, Eastland says, we used to say pre-internet, do not worry about the KKK when they march down the street and rallies on Mailing Street. Worry when they're uh, not seen and heard. Effective groups advocating violence are doing it so publicly, but being a little less, uh, uh, being a little bit sneaky. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's something to that. I mean, you have the groups that are very vocal, very, very, uh, visible online, advocating for whatever 
And you see that on both sides. I mean, right and left both have their agitators. But I think on the left side of things, on the progressive politics side of things, you see a lot more of that because, and this is something we've talked about uh, here uh, just internally, Mrs. Boss and I, your, uh, your entertainment media, your news media, your theater, your politicians mostly lean left. However, according to Cameron Pasha, who is a writer and producer in Hollywood, uh, he's an outspoken conservative, so that works against him in some in some cases. But he has said on numerous occasions on different live streams, including ours, that there are a number of people in Hollywood who are conservative who won't admit to it in public. And we see in the uh, interview between Gina Carano and Ben Shapiro, Shapiro is saying that he knows a number of people in prominent positions in Hollywood who are conservative, who don't agree, who don't say anything because they are afraid. And I, I would hate to live in an industry, live and work in an industry, live in Hollywood, work in that, in that business, afraid for my livelihood and my life every day of the year. And maybe, Maybe what's happening with Gina Carano might open the floodgates a little bit because, you know, she's, she's saying in that interview, she's, she's at a party at somebody's house and they come over and they whisper and they're like, we agree with you, but we're not going to say anything. And she says, why are you whispering? It's your house. And they're whispering because they don't want anybody to know. We have friends over here, but they can't even they you you can't even trust your friends. Which is kind of the point of the whole thing about, hey, are we on the way? Are we on that road to reporting our neighbors and our friends because they don't have the right think? Are we on the way to our neighbors? turning in neighbors for unacceptable behavior. Report people. If your neighbors are having parties with more than six people, here's a phone number to call. If you don't like this book, we're going to have a burning ceremony on Friday. It's the same kind of thing, folks. I said it a long time ago. 1984, Animal Farm, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Mix them all up in a blender and that's where we are. Social media is the drug. 1984 is our government and our social media. Fahrenheit 451 is what they're going to do to us. And Animal Farm gives us their, their way of thinking. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. It's a dangerous place to be. And this hit piece that the Hollywood Reporter does about Gina Carano's family 
may give us an indication on where that's going to go next, depending on what other articles come out. It feels like a trial balloon because I haven't seen any other articles yet. But it is one of those, Gina Carano's family is involved in the casinos in Las Vegas. Well, there's a couple of different ways they could go with that. Either they're trying to set her up as a white princess of privilege, you know, the, the, the family's rich. She, she's not damn anything to worry about. Or, even more insidious, they could go with the organized crime tactic, because, you know, you, you think about Las Vegas' history and the fact that Gina Carano's family is Italian, they could try to do that. Depending on what other articles come out about Gina's family, we'll see which tactic they're trying to attempt here they're going to do next. But one way or the other, they're, they're coming after Gina Carano's family next. That's been that was the shot that was fired on Friday. And this thing with Jason Sanford with Tony Weisskopf, yeah. First they came after the forum, now they're coming after the entire company. Band's books is now under fire. And it's not going to stop this week, it's not going to stop next week. Because there are certain people what think they should be in charge who have now decided that it's okay to attack a business based on what their customers say. How did we get to this point, ladies and gentlemen? I'm not going to do business with you, Amazon. I'm not going to do business with you, Target, Walmart, I'm not going to do business with you, Uncle Hugo's Bookstore. I think they're recovering, by the way. I'm not going to do business with you, X and So Mom and Pop Shop, because your customer said X online, and I don't like what he said, so I'm not going to do business with you. How stupid is that? Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Mazers... Gina's father, Glenn Carano, number eight of the Dallas Cowboys. He was uh, he was generally the third string quarterback behind Roger Staubach and Danny White. And then when Staubach retired and Danny White became the 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 main quarterback, the starting quarterback, Carano was number two for a while. Um, and then I think he went to another team after that. Um, I didn't I I wasn't paying attention too much on that. But yeah, it was it 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 kind of struck me like a little bit of a bolt of lightning. Like, wait a minute. I know that guy. I know who that is. It was very strange. The world keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we find out things about people that sometimes make them more appealing to us and sometimes not. So, anyway... Uh, yesterday we survived Mrs. Boss Monday. I don't know if any of you were here for, you know, some of you were here for that. Those of you who were, uh, you can uh, also leave a comment over there. One of the things that I'm hoping to do is uh, get some more, uh, get some more comments and discussions 
after we're live. Uh, the chat is relatively active through most of these shows, uh, but I would like to get a little bit more uh, more activity from those of you who are not with us live. If you're watching this after the fact or if you're coming coming to us as a podcast, uh, we want to hear your thoughts as well. And, and that could be either a comment on the thread or an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com or you can tag us on on social media and let us know that way because we want to we want to know what you think too I and mean, this is not just you know, yes it's me pontificating for an hour but i want to know what you guys think what all what you know no this is not a monolith the audience here not everybody thinks the same way not everybody believes the same thing and i and i like getting that kind of feedback. Are we on the right track with the kind of shows that we're doing, with the kind of topics that we're covering? Are there things that you're more interested in that we haven't covered yet? Are there guests that you would like to see us bring on? Speaking of which, tomorrow we will have Mark Cushman. He is the author of a series of books, Behind the Scenes at Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry's career. They're called These Other Voyages. There's six of them so far. Uh, and we are, I'm working on a review of the of the second set of three that covers the years between when the original series got canceled and when the motion picture got produced. Fascinating book, uh, to coin a phrase. It is a very interesting to see just how much of a fight and a struggle uh, Roddenberry had with all of this. And it does give me a little bit of vindication, and it tells me that Paramount Pictures has never understood Star Trek. It's not just the modern-day Paramount. It's Paramount all the time has never understood Star Trek. So, there's that. All right. That's going to do it for today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Uh, uh, coming up a little bit later on in the week... We have a new tartar sauce. That's the plan, at least. Friday at 5 Eastern for Central. And then on the weekend, of course, we will have a brand new Good Morning Multiverse. And uh, don't, uh, don't miss, because we've already dropped it this past Saturday, a new Foreign Bodies. It was a live edition this time. And that seems to be playing pretty well. They were uh, asking each other about their history with horror, Mr. Mrs. Walker and Mr. Harvey were. So you want to check that out. And uh, we do invite you again to uh, check out the newsletter and uh, connect with us on all the socials. We're that close to 1,600 subscribers here on YouTube. So if you want to share the link and tell people about us, if you are new, you haven't subscribed yet, we do invite you to do that and have notifications turned on. And if you're on Twitch... Go ahead and find us over there as well because we're having discussions about bringing the watch parties in and trying that. Uh, it's been suggested that we do a watch party for Battlefield Earth, and I'm sure there are some other things that we could probably sit and watch together if you've got an Amazon Prime account. So uh, so there's that. So go find us over on Twitch. Just look Sci-Fi for Me. That's who we are everywhere. So uh, you can find us there, all the socials. And then we will be back here tomorrow with Mark Cushman live from the bunker. Thanks for being here, everybody. And remember, there are four lights. 
This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.